Welcome to Art Talk with April. I'm April Harris of Inked April and the host of this podcast. This is season four. We have some amazing artists on. I can't wait to share them with you. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Art Talk with April. Today, we have a very exciting guest. This is Corinna Nicole, and she's a painter. And you're located in Huntsville? Huntsville, Alabama, yes. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you on because we've talked, you know, we kind of worked together with the um, ALWCA and um, I just love your work. So I think this is going to be really fun. And um, I really like to get started with these conversations around kind of childhood and like how you get into art and where it all comes from. So how did you get started? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go way back, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm i an only child. Um, so a lot of my childhood was me entertaining myself, um, you know, in my playroom, figuring out how to keep myself busy. And I distinctly remember that coloring drawing was one of those ways that I like to pass time. Um, of course, I I um, also distinctly remember enjoying uh, skating around the house in my Fisher Price, you know, the red, yellow, blue skates. Yeah. Uh, but when I <laughs> wasn't is. doing that or making up dances for my parents, I was coloring <laughs> and drawing. Um, and I really always enjoyed like the, I think they're called spire graphs where you're doing the little oh, yeah. shapes. Um, so I really always enjoyed like the artsy side of things um and so I think that's that's probably where it started just for fun definitely did not know that you could grow up to be an artist um until I was probably already graduated from high school mm. and trying to figure out like what I wanted to do in college uh so it was really just a just a childhood, how I like to entertain myself and pass time. But I mean, yeah. you don't know why, you know, that that one thing, like really, it, it's fun. You just enjoy it. So you do more of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you went to school and um, did you go to school for art or something else? I did. So I went to University of Montevallo for art um, for my undergraduate studies. I originally um, applied as a graphic design concentration. Mm -hmm. And um, I hadn't really taken any graphic design courses. It was just one of those things where I knew I enjoyed being creative, but I didn't really know how I wanted to pursue a career in that. And it was kind of at the suggestion of my dad, well, you've always enjoyed designing book covers for your projects, for your reports. So why not go into graphic design? And it was just like, okay. Um, and I did like a one day shadowing of a graphic designer. And I was like, yeah, this would be cool, I think. And in addition to that, um, the idea that graphic design is like one of the few artistic paths that you could take that would guarantee income, I guess, is what people think. <laughs> um, I know that's not entirely true. I know. <laughs> it's Everybody's very like, oh, computers are involved. You've got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that was kind of the catalyst for that. And kind of was encouraged to shy away from the the starving artist life sure, right sure <laughs> um so I was like yeah okay I'll go into graphic design 
never took a class. I think I took like one um, just like digital media class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to build my own website. Did not love it. I was like, this is too much work. I don't know how people do this. The coping <laughs> and all that was just not up my alley. And um, so then I took a intro to painting course. And that was my first time experiencing oil paint. And uh, I just really loved the class. I love the experience, like the buttery texture of oil paint. Um, the teacher was really cool. Misty Bennett, shout out to her um, at University of Montevallo. And I was just like, okay, this is something I can really get behind. Like, I just love the feel of painting, the experience of painting. Um, obviously, if you look back at my art from back in the day, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, but <laughs> Montevallo was a really supportive school as far as experiencing all the different types of media. Um, but I just fell in love with painting. And so I started taking all the painting classes that I could yeah. and um, switched my concentration over to painting and graphic design was out the window. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny that you say that because that's exactly why I went into graphic design because my parents were like, well, this could be a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it that really is. And it's sad that that is kind of like the societal idea that we have of um, fine arts is that you're not going to have a career. It's going to be very difficult. Um and it is difficult. It is a lot of work that you have to put into it. And um, I mean, to be honest, I still work full time in the corporate world. Yeah. So I'm juggling both, you know, a corporate job and my passion for painting and wanting to make that a full time career. So it's it's definitely not necessarily easy, you know, um, and I think when we go to school for it, of course, we all have these like idealized visions of what it would be like to be an artist and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just having this grand creative life. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't necessarily true for everyone or for most artists. Yeah. And, and that's okay. I think everyone has to realize that it's a unique journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you're doing something that you love. Like you're doing something that is like, just coursing through your veins like you have to get this paint on the canvas it's it's just a passion that you have you know and it's not about making a lot of money it's not about like being a well-known artist necessarily it's really about you know putting what's within you what is wanting to come out of you onto canvas and being able to share that with everyone else and being able to share something that people maybe don't think about on a regular basis and just getting people to think differently and explore ideas differently. And, and that's really the goal of being a visual artist. And that's where I have to, you know, <laughs> keep remembering that that is the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It's like, you know, I, I think to like, um, I don't know how old you are, but I, I grew up before internet, like mm-hmm. internet was around when I was in college, but when internet really built up and you could see all the other artists online doing things it was like oh so there are ways to do this <laughs> yes and it's, it's so, like exciting to see other is. people doing stuff it is it's exciting it's inspiring yeah. um, 
And it's also scary, um, just to be honest. Like I same, I grew up not really having, you know, internet was became more popular when I was in college. Um, I remember I was at Montevallo when Facebook first became a thing, and that's when social media first in my, you know, to me was like introduced. And it was just this whole new world opened up, right? And before that, you didn't realize, you know, what necessarily everyone else was doing. And now that social media is such a big part of being a visual artist, it's really great because it's motivational. You see what other people are doing and it reminds you to keep being creative, to keep making art. Um, And then you just have to be careful to not let that influence you the other way where it becomes overwhelming and you're like, comparing yourself to other artists and feel like you're not doing enough or not doing good enough. That's the dangerous part of of social media. And, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So (laughs) you have to be really careful with that as well. Um, Imposter syndrome is real. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how I manage it, but I just like for whatever reason, I don't get very like competitive or comparison. I just, it's like, I remember being younger and opening up an artist, like a book about art Mm -hmm. and would just be inspired by the pictures that are in the book. I kind of feel that way about social media a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And I'm not thinking, Oh, mine, mine's not as good as that. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't have that mindset, but I think maybe, maybe it's because I didn't grow up with that. And so I can see how like really a lot of younger artists would be very intimidated because they didn't really know anything other than that. Like, and, and it makes me also wonder, like, did younger artists have that same feeling like, like we didn't know anybody who was an artist and a professional artist, like in real life. So that was like something that was unattainable, really, you know, only the few get to do that. But when you have social media and the internet, you're like, oh, there's all these millions of artists. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's more so what it is. It's just the overwhelming like experience of like whoa like there is a whole world and again it's the it's the double-sided like it's super exciting and for me it definitely has been more leaning towards the inspirational side like you know seeing what other artists are making seeing you know the content they're putting out wanting to make art as well um that that has been super important um for me to be a part of as well. Uh, And I think one of the biggest reasons that I love being in college, um, so I went to Montevallo and then later went to UC Berkeley. And one of the biggest things that I loved about that was being surrounded by other artists because it, it inspired me to make art. I wanted to be making art all the time. And the most noticeable thing after I graduated from college and not being surrounded by artists every day was that it was really easy to move away from making art. It was really easy to be distracted by just watching TV, doing laundry, the mundane routine things of life. Um, When you're not surrounded by artists all the time, 
you kind of have to put more focus on like creating a schedule for yourself to make art. And that's hard. Um, So that's the, that's one of the biggest reasons why I really wanted to have a studio at Low Mill, which is a public arts facility in Huntsville, because I needed to be back surrounded by other artists. I needed to have that inspiration all around me where I get to walk around, see other artists working in their studios, you know, see what they're doing and just it's like you feel like the energy just flowing coursing through low mill and you you want to make art and um, I didn't have that same feeling when I had my home studio it was really hard to you know get into the studio and make art it was really easy to sit on the couch and (laughs) be on social media and seeing you know watching everybody else was making instead of me making art (laughs) I think that would be awesome. I love that you guys have that there in Huntsville and that everybody is so involved and that there's a space. I'm like, man, I wish there were spaces like that everywhere. Cause I mean, I just think it would be amazing because you're right. Like when you're around like a group of artists and everybody's creating, you're just like, you just like feel energetic and inspired and you're like ready to get to work you know (laughs) absolutely it's so important and I and I agree I feel like every city should have a public arts facility like that to where you know you can rent out a studio space and you know no matter the size just being surrounded by a few other artists if if it's four or five other artists it can make a huge difference. So your medium is primarily oil, but I really wanted to learn about your subject matter and like how that came about. Cause I'm assuming that in school you weren't painting the same kinds of things. And how did this, you know, the, what, what do you call them? The, um, murmurations. Yeah. Yeah, It's a fun Uh, word. I'm gonna let you say that word. Um, <laughs> but they're so cool. I mean, how many times have you have people, you know, seen those kinds of things happening and they're like, oh, look at that. And then how did how did you get to start doing that? Yeah. So um, yeah, so when I was um in school, I was painting primarily figurative works. Um, so anything having to do with the human body. Um, I was trying to, at one point, do really like um, realistic portraits, full figure bodies. And um, that's pretty much what my graduating show at UC Berkeley was, was um, I did these huge paintings, figurative paintings um, of of female nudes. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make them as realistic as possible, which, which requires a lot of like attention to detail. And I think after I graduated, I kind of needed a break from that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was trying to do things that were a little bit looser, more abstract, uh, where I could just have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. And so one day I was just randomly scrolling videos and I came across a video of these um, two women that were on a canoe on a lake. And all of a sudden they witnessed this a massive flock of birds that were doing these beautiful, elaborate shapes in the sky. It was like a performance. Yeah. And I was just in awe of that as the two girls. Obviously, they were probably more in awe because they were experiencing it in person. I was just watching a video of it and I was fascinated and I had never seen anything like this. 
And so I started researching what that was, and it's a flock of starlings. And when they gather in the thousands, thousands of them will come together to flock. And they're really unique in the way that they fly um, because they create these, you know, just performative shapes in the sky that shift so quickly and so beautifully that you cannot help but to just want to watch. And um, I felt immediately compelled to make a painting about it. Um, so even though it was this really like fluid, moving image, my practice was painting. And so I wanted to see if I could get that down in a two-dimensional, you know, static way. Yeah. <laughs> and painting was the way that I knew. So I made a painting about it. And that was my first time making um, a memoration painting. And... I thought it was just going to be like a one-off painting. I just get it out my system, explore that, and then go back to doing my other work. And it kind of was that way. I went back to doing figurative, but every now and then when I needed a break and needed something more abstract, I would do a murmuration painting. And probably in the last three, four years, that has really been my primary focus. I've transitioned entirely to doing their, their paintings, but I want them to feel like they're moving. So um, I try to make them feel like dances in a way. I want them to captivate the audience the way a live murmuration would. So I want to, I want the audience to stop in their tracks really and just feel in the zone with the work to where they can feel like they were there or they're watching the movement they know what the next move is going to be where where it's going and just kind of imagine um this experience or recall one that they've actually seen in real life and um, so I want it to be really kind of where it captivates the audience wow I mean you really you really do capture that like the organic sort of like the way and then how they kind of overlap and it'll be like darker in some areas and you can kind of see through in some parts where the I guess the birds are more spread out and it's I mean that's just amazing thank you <laughs> I love it I thought how does she come about that because it's one of those like just one of those amazing things you see out in nature where you're like yeah. oh whoa, what is happening there <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like a natural phenomenon it's just like there's no way this yeah. is a real thing but it is you know and um, I've just really been fascinated. Um, a large part of it is like just the beauty of the performative dance, um, but also um, like digging more into it. And um, so researchers have tried to study them and understand, you know, how they can move so fluidly without ever colliding into each other. And um, so from what they've been able to observe, they believe that each starling shadows its seven closest neighbors. So when one um, when, when one starling moves, the seven around it will shift in the same direction. And so there's really no one leader. They all um, will respond to each other. And thinking about that collective intelligence, just the interconnectedness, um, that is a really beautiful idea to me that they each make their own decisions, right? But they're all influenced by each other as well. And wow. Yeah. Oh it's, it's, 
<laughs> I'm thinking about I'm like uh the like the meaning of all of that and like how I mean that that can you know we we as humans can relate to that so much you know but yes. the ma- it's, it's like magical that they're doing that it it's is it is and I agree there there's just something about it that you cannot help but want to know more about or want to experience it's gotten me by the hooks <laughs> I I definitely um, struggled for a long time as I was developing as an artist in in school figuring out what my thing was as an artist yeah um, I felt like I didn't know where like what my voice was as an artist, I, f- I was making art about this and art about that. And it was just all really random to me. And I felt like nothing was connected. And that was one of the uh, difficult things for me as an artist and feeling like I was truly an artist was that I didn't know what my art was truly about. I was still figuring it out. Um, and it was once I started doing these paintings that I really started to feel like I had this like exciting energy in me that I really enjoyed the process of making the art um of of coming up with these ideas putting these shapes onto canvas or onto paper and really realizing that this is kind of the direction that I wanted to go into and lean into and it took me several years but as I really started to understand what this series was about and what my work is about now, that looking back, even though I didn't think I had a voice, even though I didn't feel like I had a direction in my art, um, all of my art was really about connecting with others. And mm-hmm. while it didn't seem obvious to me at the time, it was all always about me trying to figure out how I fit in with other people, how mm-hmm. I could connect with other people. And then thinking about these starlings and a murmuration as a whole, it is all about how they connect, how one starling connects with the rest, right? And I think it's really, if I if I want to put myself into the paintings, it is about me connecting with everyone around me. And I think that's the beautiful thing about these starlings that, you know, one alone is a beautiful bird, but it's when they are surrounded by all the other starlings and when they're doing these performative um, dances in the sky, that that is really what is beautiful about them. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you're saying all of that because, I mean, I totally agree where you're coming from. But, you know, how we were just talking about how you needed to be in a public studio around other artists and the energy of all the artists making things. It's like a bunch of artists. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> so much meaning. Yes, yes. I love that. And I think too, it's like what I've always thought about the starlings is like, it's almost like energy, like inner, like a wave of energy and that they're just like, moving with each other and it's like how do they know how can all you know those seven 
sense all of that movement and go with it is just I mean, that's intense. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. And I think that's the um, another beautiful part about it is that we don't know all the answers to it. Like it, yeah. we can make observations, we can make our guesses, but we don't know 100% how it all works. And I think that alone is kind of interesting as well. Like we don't know how the world works entirely, right? We're all just figuring it out every day. And that's that's part of life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love it. (laughs) So um, you've got your studio there in Low Mill and um, are you doing like, do you have your work in like galleries or do you do like festival shows or anything like that? Um, So I currently, yeah, most of my art is in my studio. So I have my studio set up in a way so that half of it is a gallery space and then half of it is my workspace so when um, visitors come into my studio they get to kind of experience both worlds they get to experience my finished pieces and they also get to watch me work on new pieces and they can stop and ask me questions Um, so I really enjoy when people actually come into my studio and really experience all of it right Uh, I do have my work um in like some group exhibitions. I do try to do festivals and festivals are a really unique experience where it's super hectic. You set up your tent and you install all of your pieces and, you know, two to three days later, you take it all back down. It's super exhausting, but it's exciting. Um, You get to meet a ton of new people. People get exposed to your works. Um, So I do do art festivals as well. Um, and I have a solo exhibition scheduled for next year in April through the Alabama Women's Caucus for Art. And so that will be exhibited at Low Mill in one of the gallery spaces. Wow, that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I don't really know what all is going to go into that show, yeah. just, um, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, that's so fun. And like when you're um, one thing that just occurred to me is like, what size do you typically do these paintings? Do you do you do all different sizes or how do you um, I do? I, I tend to work more on the smaller scale and um, anything from uh, magnet size. Um, I think the largest piece that I have is 24 by 48 inches, so two by four feet. Um, that a lot of it has to do with transportation and uh, just the yeah. be realistic that I can only fit certain sizes in my car. Yeah. Uh, and so that was one of the things when I was at UC Berkeley doing these giant paintings it was such a pain trying to figure out how to get them from point A to point B. <laughs> and I kind of told myself I never want to work that big again. <laughs> um, not that I won't ever work super large, but I think for me, realistically, I would have to find a way that also can transport easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe working on fabric, something I can roll up. That is something I think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tend to work generally like on 11 by 14, 18 by 24, sort of in between that size scale. Um, but yeah, it can vary. Yeah. The smaller 
I work, um, the the harder it is for me to apply my um, splattering technique where I tap the paintbrush to create the swarm formations. So typically if I work really small, I'll use um, stippling technique where I'm doing one dot at a time. And so that's a little bit more time consuming, a little bit more controlled. And then the larger I work, the looser I can work. Um, so I can kind of have a little bit more freedom in that sense. Wow. So it kind of depends yeah. on how I, you know, what te- technique I apply based yeah. on the size that I work. Yeah. So, I mean, the, um, in thinking about that, that is so interesting in that you're spending more time on the smaller ones, really, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you're it, having to do it dot by dot by dot in order to control yeah. that organic shape in the sky kind of thing. Right. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, when I work larger, that means I'm painting more background. And I and I paint the backgrounds traditionally with a paintbrush. Yeah. And so it's, I tend to spend more time on the background and focusing on the details like of the trees or whatever landscape I'm painting. And then my uh, bird formations are looser and they are uh, more fluid and responsive to, you know, just what happens naturally. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of play with the lack of control. So, you know, I try to kind of control where the splatter goes, but I can't control every splatter. And so a lot of times I'm responding to where a splatter went I have an idea of where I want the memoration to go, what I want it to look like, but then, oh, well, I guess I'm going that direction now. So I'm kind of (laughs) responding in that way. And then when I'm working smaller, it takes me less time to work on the background, Mm -hmm. but I am applying the stippling technique, working dot by dot on the swarm formation that way. So I'm spending more time on that. And so it, it, it really varies. Yeah. 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 So with your landscapes in the backgrounds, are you like choosing anything in particular to paint there or are you just inspired by certain types of landscapes or how do you go about deciding what the landscape is? Yeah. Um, So I love taking pictures of sunsets. Mm. Uh, So a lot of times I'm using photographs that I've taken um, from a sunset and kind of I like seeing like the silhouetted trees. Um, So I'm also one that will take out information that I feel like is irrelevant. So I may take a photograph and only apply the things that I want in the painting. Um, That's the beauty of being an artist, right? You can decide (laughs) what you want to incorporate and not. Um, and then sometimes I just create landscapes in my mind. I have kind of just a general practice towards a tree line um, and just kind of invented. Um, or if I come across a photo uh, where I really like a cityscape or a mountainscape, I'll incorporate those elements, but I may incorporate the sunset colors from a photo that I took. And then I create the swarm in my head usually. So it's it's a combination of using my own photo, my imagination, and um, inspiration from other images that I see. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Because I mean, you're you're just inspired by it, and you and you're like, oh, I really like that. But I want 
to maybe put that with this and maybe I captured a power line. I don't want the power line, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Like I, you know, I know what my weaknesses are as an artist. Um, perspective is not one of them. <laughs> so if I'm, if I have a photo with a bunch of uh, buildings, I'm probably not going to paint the buildings. It's just, <laughs> you know, or I may imply them. Um, but I'm not going to paint any detailed buildings. It's just not my strong suit. So we're just we're just gonna cut that out. <laughs> and power line. Like, <laughs> Perspective. Oh, yeah. I'm not crazy about that. I'm all about the organic stuff. I'm like, man, I just can't handle it. <laughs> That's why I draw trees, is because I like the organic part of it and I just make it up as I go along instead of having exactly. to like use a ruler and make yeah. sure it goes in the right direction. <laughs> to to exactly. Yeah. There's a, a painting I recently did. Um, it was a larger scale painting. It was based on a photo that I took um, on the way home. It's a street that I go home um, down every day. And so in the photo is the road. Yeah. I saw that. I think, I, think right? I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it has, it definitely has some perspective aspects in it. I'm not entirely sure that I got it down right, but I tried not to focus on that too much. Um, but there were power lines in that photo, didn't include those. And there was this one tree uh, in the foreground. And initially I was trying to make the tree look like in the photo and I struggled so much with it. It was just not doing, I was not doing <laughs> the tree justice. <laughs> And after days and days and days of trying to make this tree work, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make this my own tree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about adding branches wherever I think they should be. <laughs> I was like, you know, you're just not going to see any branches. You're just going to, it's just going to be a full tree. You know, yeah. I don't know if it really looks like a real tree, but it works for me. You know, I made it my own and I'm happy with it now. Yeah. And I remember thinking it was really great. So <laughs> there wasn't anything that I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Good to know. Oh, that's fun. I did think I was like, oh, okay. She captured somewhere that was close by her that she sees every day. I thought that was really neat. It kind of gave it like a little you know, something more personal to you as an artist, something that you really do see every single day. Yes. That's yeah. Awesome. And it's, it's in a really like particular spot. So um, I live close to my parents and it's actually right before you get to my parents' neighborhood. And so that is kind of like this marker of almost home. Yeah. So as soon as I go up this hill and I see this tree, I know I'm about to pass my parents' neighborhood and I'm almost home and I'm ready to relax. And so it kind of just gives me this like comfort every time I see that, that hill. Yeah. And yeah that painting is kind of special to me because it, it really signifies home and comfort to me. Yeah. I love that. And then like, so you've got all of your, your different paintings. Do you do your framing yourself or do you frame or the gallery wrap canvas or what do you do there? I usually work on gallery wrap canvas. Um, framing, I'm not one to make my own. I, I've done, like I've built my own canvases before when I was in undergrad and and in graduate school, I think I did as well. And I think that's just one of the areas that I don't want to 
put all my attention on. I'd rather focus on painting. So I definitely go buy pre-made canvases. And if I am going to pop it in a frame, I'm going to go buy a frame. And that's just, yeah. (laughs) I know, me too. I'm like, why? Yeah. And I get, I get it. Like there are people who really enjoy that process of making that stuff and doing all the, you know, like having the control and I've been, I've always been so bad at it that I'm just like, this is more stress. (laughs) (laughs) These are perfectly good things that I could buy somewhere, you know, or repurpose something, you know? So I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, I love it for the people that do it. And I, yeah. every time I see someone that builds their own frames, I'm just like, oh, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. Um, but yeah, it's just not where I put my time to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what would you, what's some kind of advice that you would give like younger artists who are maybe struggling with the same thing that you did? Like, where's my path? What's my direction? What is my voice? Why am I painting these things? <laughs> yeah. Um, give yourself time. Give yourself grace. I think um, we definitely live in a world we, where we want everything to happen now. We want to see now what's going to happen and have the success and figure it all now. Um, but just give yourself time. Keep making Um and try not to let the pressures of the world and anyone else uh, make you feel like you have to make a certain type of art or make art a certain amount of time, put out a certain number of pieces. Just try not to compare yourself to anyone else and really just um, just give yourself time. I think it's it's really easy to put that pressure on yourself. Um, a lot of it was me feeling like I had expectations put on me to, you know, to have it all figured out. When you go to school, you know, you have these really amazing professors that put their time into you and teach you things and give you the space to create art. And in a way, you kind of want to pay back those teachers. Like you want to show, you know, I all the time that you put into me here's the art. Um, you did teach me something and and I'm making things now. And so you kind of put that pressure on yourself because you want to make your professors proud. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's not about anyone else. It's not about anyone else's expectations. Um, it might feel like other people are waiting on you to put art out there, but everyone has their own lives. Everyone is thinking about their own problems and has their own things that they're trying to figure out. So just do you just, you know, make the art, um, just enjoy the experience, just enjoy the learning, try new things, um, experiment, figure out what works for you and just keep making art. Just keep at it. It's all a process and it will all everyone has their own path. So everyone will figure out their own path and, and it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. I think, and I think I personally struggle with that myself. I'm like, okay, what am I, even today though, even, even now I'm like, is this what I'm, what I want to make? You know, (laughs) but I think that happens with everybody. And you're like, I've had, I've experienced some artists too that 
maybe they have some sort of ailment or something happens and then they can't make the thing they used to make. So mm-hmm. now they've got to make something else or figure that out. And it's almost like you never know where the path's going to take you. You don't know if you're going to be doing murmurations for the rest of time or if something will happen and you're like, okay, now I've got to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think it's an important thing to talk about (laughs) because it can feel kind of isolating too. You're like, am I the only one who doesn't know what I want to paint? You know? Yeah. It's, you know, all the things that you are creating while you're figuring yourself out. Again, it might not seem like it's connected, but it probably is. It just you have to get to a certain point to be able to reflect on that and figure out, you know, what you were figuring out and what you were working through. And, you know, without all of that experimentation, without all that exploration, you probably wouldn't get to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, some artists, they know right away what they want their art to be about. And that's amazing. And some artists, they go down 50 different paths before they figure out what they want to do. And that's amazing too, um, because it's all just a unique experience. And yeah, I think it's just important to know that everybody has their own way. There is no one way to be an artist. There is no one way to have a career as an artist. It really is just about you figuring yourself out and giving yourself the time to do that. Do you have any particular artists that you're really inspired by? Oh man, that's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) You're like me, you have millions and you just don't know. You're like, uh. (laughs) yeah, I think for me, it's just a general admiration of artists. Um, I can walk around low mill and, or scroll through social media and see what everybody else is making. And all of it is just fascinating to me that everybody has these unique perspectives, these unique approaches to making art. Um, It's just all inspiring. And yes, it's hard for me to say I've got this one artist that (laughs) I admire and that I try to be like, or, or, you know, create art similar to it really is. You have a very unique subject matter and everything this is all unique to you so you know yeah um you know and I and I see there are other artists that have made paintings about starlings and murmurations and so those are always cool for me to come across too when I see them because we all have such a unique approach to making them Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't see a lot of people making um art about murmurations, and so it's that you know that's the other challenging thing is how how are you unique, you know, and that's a scary thing because ultimately we're all inspired by each other, right? We're all making art that is inspired by something and making something that is unique is part of the process you want to make something that stands out um but yeah at the end of the day we're all inspired by each other and so it's it's cool to just see what everyone else is making and yeah yeah um how can people get like connect with you and find your art and you know purchase something yeah so um 
Instagram, I post pretty regularly. Um, so on there, brennanicole.art. I have a studio at Low Mill. Currently, I'm located in Studio 118, which is on the first floor. Um, and it is, we all make our own hours, but Low Mill is open Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, I'm usually there during the week in the evenings and then on Saturdays. Um Hopefully in the future, I'll be able to be there a lot more like during the week as well. Uh, but you can always walk in there. My art is available to purchase. You can walk in, take something off the wall and purchase it there. And also online. Um, my website is corinna-nicole.com. And um, hopefully you'll be able to insert that somewhere so that people can see that. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Karina, for talking to me today. I really enjoyed it. And it's just such a fascinating way that you're expressing yourself and how meaningful it is. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. And, you know, it's always nerve wracking to think about, okay, I'm doing an interview. I'm going to be on camera, (laughs) but it's been a lot of fun talking to you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Talk with April. For more information on this episode, join the Facebook group, The Art Lounge. Please subscribe and share. See you next Tuesday. Hope you have a great week.